And we've just been uh, teaching and preaching about the rapture and getting out of here. And uh, what a great song to set us right up for where we're at. First Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> Now, don't get me wrong, I'm excited to go to heaven. <laughs> and uh, I look, sing that song, and you hear about the tempter getting banished, and just hearing about the devil finally dis getting it. <laughs> and uh, all Christian charity go right out the window. I'm ready for the devil to get it, man. <laughs> tempter will be banished she'll be more than banished I kind of fit the rhyme of the song be stuck in the, the pit for a thousand years and then, uh, then they'll let him out and he'll gather up the nations against Jerusalem just a little time and then Revelation chapter 20 the Lord throws him right in the lake of fire forever and ever amen now, if that don't make you excited, I don't know what will. Maybe Walmart. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we just got done uh, teaching and preaching about the rapture of the church here. And before we get started, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you that you're coming back. Father, thank you that you're coming back sooner than later. And Father, we sure are looking forward to it. And Lord, I know we're in the, we're in the last days. I know a lot of preachers before me, generations before me, thought they was in the last days, but, Lord, we're in the last days now more than they were. And, Father, I know in the last days it gets darker and darker and people want to go to sleep. And, Father, we sure thank you, Lord, for the light that the Holy Spirit gives us, the light of that King James Bible. Father, I pray that you keep us true to your word. Father, I pray once again you'd open our eyes and behold wondrous things out of thy law. And, Father, unless you uh, give me the power of God, Lord, and fill me with your Holy Spirit, these dear sheep, these dear people, I'm not going to get anything tonight, so I pray that you'd help me. I'm totally dependent upon you. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. Now, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll kick it off here in verse 1. Paul says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And what Paul's saying, he says, you should know what it is. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh, as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So a couple things here. There's a lot of material in the first six verses here, but I want you to see that the day of the Lord has a relationship to that of a woman that is with child in verse number 3. And uh, there are several things that you can tell about a woman with a child. Uh, you, can, you can tell the seasons. And I know sometimes they look like a golf or garden hose swallowed a golf ball. Amen. But, you know, uh, you can tell the season. Uh, but you don't know exactly. I know they give you a date. Uh, but you don't know exactly when that woman's having a baby. Uh, you don't know the day. And you surely don't know the hour. But you know the season. And you can know the season of the birth, and uh, you can tell the approximate time that she's going to deliver uh, simply by looking at that gal and <laughs> kind of figure out what's going on. You know, the birth pangs and the hurt and 
the travail that's on that woman. And of course, uh, if you grab Revelation chapter 12 too, just as a real good cross-reference for you, you see that thing is in reference to Israel, but it says, And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. All right, so like I said, that's in reference to Israel. But there are certain things that you can tell by what's going on. Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 1 for a second here. Acts chapter 1. And Paul says, he says some real interesting things. He says, uh, the, time, the times and seasons, he's got no need that he should write unto you. All right? But if you look at Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> I want you to see this, verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, what wilt, thou, uh, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, I want you to know this is where a lot of lazy Christians stop. And you need to realize that because the apostles would later receive the power, wouldn't they? The apostles would later receive that power to know the times and seasons after they received the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 8. And that's the same power that you get when you get saved. Verse 8 says, but ye shall receive power. He said in verse 7, you don't have the power to do this, but you're going to get it. That's what he says. Verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. All right? So the apostle would receive the power and would be able to determine those things. And just so you know, that Christian, he doesn't have apostolic power, but he has the same power, the Holy Ghost inside of him, to reveal those things to him. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, Paul says, For yourselves know perfectly, he says. And he's talking about those times and seasons. Isn't that an interesting thing? Because you hear a lot of mixed things on this thing. Well, no man can know, and you can't really know, and so forth and so on. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to show you another instance of this. Uh, he tells him uh, you, you don't have the power, and then a lot of Christians stop there. Uh, and then the next verse, but you shall receive power. And that's the same power that you're going to get when you get saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I'm sure everyone in the auditorium sanctuary tonight has heard a message written and preached out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the Bible says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How many heard something like that? Preached, said, read, so forth, commented on. And you hear this thing, well, you just never know, and you don't know, and you can't know, and you, won't, you might not know, and, and how you know. And, but they stop, and a lot of preachers, they stop, and they don't grab verse 10. And verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by what? His Spirit. I'm just giving you those instances to show you there are some things uh, we know in this day and age, in the New Testament church age, that the New Testament Christians did not re uh, that, that weren't revealed to the Old Testament saints and the prophets. For example, <clears throat> you understand His first coming. You understand his second coming, and you also understand the church age slapped in between. Now, the Old Testament prophets, they didn't see that. They had no idea. You look at uh, uh, Larkin's Dispensational Truth, and you read the notes from C.I. Schofield, and there's an old Schofield reference Bible. They, didn't, they never saw the church age whatsoever. The Old Testament prophets didn't see that. They never saw a break in between. So you, 
you have to be you have to be careful uh, that you don't go and say, well, you know, you, you you can't know you can't know. Paul says, I don't need to write to you about the time, the day and the seasons, times and the seasons. You yourselves know perfectly. You see that? And uh, some people say, well, you can't know the day and the hour. Well, we're not trying to know the day and the hour. We're trying to figure out what the Bible tells us we could know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> And uh, the Bible's clear, you can know the seasons when he's coming back, when it's going to occur. And you shouldn't be ignorant about that thing. And I know the stuff isn't taught. I know we're not the only ones that do. I'm not going around saying, look at us, you know, we're better than I'm just saying, look, this stuff isn't taught. A lot of Christians don't know. Uh, But the Bible says it's likened unto a woman that's in travail as childbirth is concerned. Now go to Matthew chapter 24. I want to show you the seasons. I want to show you the season. Grab Matthew 24, and then uh, once you grab Matthew 24, we'll hit Song of Solomon again. The Bible says you can know the seasons. John said, I'm not going to write to you about the seasons because verse 2, yourselves know perfectly. He was talking to a bunch of brand new converts that knew perfectly the season when Jesus Christ was coming back to get the church. All right, <clears throat> and uh, heading that thing into the day of the Lord. Now, Matthew chapter 24 Look at verse 32. All right, the Lord says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Uh, When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. All right, so if he's talking about a season of summer being nigh, then what season are they currently in? It'd be springtime, right? So that's the season. Uh, That's telling you when it's going to take place. Go to Song of Solomon chapter 2. We looked at this the other day and made some comment, but we'll look at it again. We're just showing you the season of Christ's return. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Look at verse 10. The Bible says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds has come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Of course, I was talking about the turtle dove. I mean, you don't even need a fourth grade education to figure that out. You ain't got no turtle squawking around your house, do you? (laughs) Verse 13, the fig tree putteth forth her green figs. And the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love. There it is. That's the rapture of the church. My fair one, and come away. What's the season? Well, of course, it's winter's past, so you're in springtime. All right, that's the season. Pretty simple, isn't it? And, uh, and then you got, you'll, you'll have a group out there you'll run into from time to time. So, well, you know, the Son of Man even said that uh, he didn't know. And you've got to realize when Jesus Christ was on the earth, uh, the time was, is based upon man's free will based upon man's free will. Had man accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah when he came, you realize he would immediately went into the tribulation and right after that the millennial reign? There'd been no need for a church age. You got to think about those things. And then if you, you bring that thing further after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you bring it over to Acts chapter 7, you got Stephen preaching to the religious people there, the Jews, and you know what the Lord's doing? He's given the religious leaders another opportunity to take it to accept the kingdom. And uh, over there in Acts seven fifty one, you you can turn there if you want. But you know what Stephen does? He gets to preaching hot and heavy, and he says, "You always do resist the Holy Ghost." So they rejected Jesus Christ uh, back there when they crucified him. 
And then over here in Acts 7.51, they rejected again. Listen, had they accepted Stephen's preaching, they would have gone immediately into the tribulation and then in the millennial kingdom. No need for a church age if they would have accepted Jesus Christ. You've got to realize that thing's based off of man's free will and, uh, and so forth and so on. So it was based upon whether or not they would accept Jesus Christ. But because they rejected him and then they rejected him again in Acts chapter 7, well, then that bumped out the second advent. That's the second coming of the Lord coming back. And that's why the Son of Man, he doesn't know. So what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's saying, look, you can determine the time of the seasons like you do at the birth of a child, but you don't necessarily know the day or the hour. But you can know the time and you can know the seasons. Uh, take your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. And uh, it'll probably coincide with the feasts. And the Lord seems to line up a lot of things in scriptures with the feast. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Lord always does things on the feast. You think about the feast of the Passover is when he came up from the grave at the resurrection. Amen. He was the Passover lamb. Uh, you know that he also at that time in Matthew chapter 27, I know you all go into Deuteronomy 16, but in Matthew 27, uh, he also carried out some Old Testament, some Old Testament saints with him. That's Matthew 27, 51, 52. Craziest part about your Bible you ever seen. Jesus Christ raises up from the dead. At the same time, you got a bunch of Old Testament saints walking around the city of Jerusalem. Like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> you, know? you know, I don't know. So what did that look like? I have no idea, man. I wasn't there. Can you imagine, uh, just think of somebody, Joshua. You know, what if, what if Joshua was part of the Old Testament saints and big old, you know, battle helmet and shield and sword walking around? Hey, what's up? You know, renovated this place a little bit, didn't they? You know, <laughs> people are fainting in the streets. I mean, how in the world would you respond to that? The Bible says many of those that slept, their bodies walked around Jerusalem. Isn't that wild? Anyways, diversion there. But uh, he died on Passover. He was resurrected uh, shortly thereafter. Of course, 50 days after Passover is what? It's Pentecost. That's when the church age began. And that was during the Feast of Weeks. And then he came and tabernacled in the flesh on the what? Feast of Tabernacles. He was baptized on the Feast of Tabernacles. And of course, through the scriptures, you see the second advent when he comes back in a white horse with all those coming back with him. He comes back uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles. So it seems to reason through the scriptures that he would probably go by the feasts that are listed in the Bible. Now you've got, you got to remember you just read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. We just come through teaching about the rapture of the church. And Paul steps right off in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 and he's continuing the same thought. Now look at Deuteronomy 16, 16. The Bible says three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's one feast, in the Feast of Weeks, there's two, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, there's three, they shall not appear before the Lord empty. All right, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's Passover. And the Feast of Weeks, of course, is synonymous with Pentecost. And then the third you have there, the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is how it would match up. Uh, your, uh, your Feast of Unleavened Bread, your Feast of Unleavened Bread would be the first fruits. That's Passover. 
and you've got Jesus Christ raising from the dead, Matthew chapter 27, 51, 52, many of the Old Testament saints, they arise, so that's considered the first fruits. That's the first one. Uh, the second one, the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks. That would include Pentecost. Pentecost is in there. And that would be, uh, that would be the place where the church-age Christians are raptured out. That's the rapture of the church. So when you read the Bible, that would be considered the first fruits. This is what you and I would consider the main harvest. And you all ever grow a garden, you get some fruits first of all, some, some vegetables, or you get the first fruits coming through, some of them green beans or peppers or whatever thing. But that's not the main, the bumper crop. The bumper crop's the harvest, right? And uh, so, and of course, uh, this harvest, uh, this appears... Uh, it appears to be springtime. And then, of course, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, that has to do with your martyred trib saints. as well as the rest of your Old Testament saints that come up at the end of the rapture. And this would be considered your gleanings. I know there's a lot in there, but I just wanted to show you how that thing uh, stretched out there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see this all in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm showing you that the Bible says you can know the time and you can know the seasons. And Paul says, uh, he didn't want you to be ignorant about it. You're not in darkness. And he told these uh, Thessalonians that you know perfectly the times and the seasons. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Paul says, but every man in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. You see the firstfruits there? That would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the rapture of uh, some of those Old Testament saints in Matthew 27 that we just talked about. That's Christ the firstfruits. All right, the next one is what? Afterward, they that are Christ's at His coming. That'd be the rapture of the church. Look at verse 24. Then cometh the end. What's the end? That's the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the martyred trib saints and Old Testament saints going up there. Uh, rapture of those saints uh, rising up before the Day of Atonement. The gleanings there. Now that's laid right out in the scriptures. The first fruits, the harvest there, and the gleanings. Then come at the end when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Now in eschatology, the dealings with last things, that last verse, where are we at? We're at the millennial kingdom, aren't we? You see that? That shows you where that thing's at. So like we said, there's three parts to that uh, resurrection. You've got the first fruits. You got Christ that is coming, and then that go out at the very end before the second advent. 
And that will all match up with Deuteronomy 16, 16. So immediately, like I said, people say, well, you can't know the times and the seasons. But Paul says you can. Paul says you can. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. All right, he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. And of course, uh, that day uh, is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is inaugurated, if we could say it like that, by the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church inaugurates the day of the Lord. And Paul doesn't want you to be ignorant. And Paul doesn't want the saint of God to be in darkness on this thing. And you have to remember, we're not speculating here. We're giving you a Bible on it. All right? Look back to verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Now here, in this passage right here, the day of the Lord can be the tribulation, it can be the second coming, it can be the millennium, and it can even go as far as the great white throne judgment and beyond. And I'm going to show you some verses because as you go through the Old Testament, you're going to find that that phrase, day of the Lord, is going to drop you into certain parts and times along the timeline of what you would call church history, all right? And you need to realize when he's talking about the day of the Lord... Uh, as opposed in 2 Thessalonians, when you see that phrase, the day of Christ, he is talking about two completely different things. And if you're not careful, you've you got to make sure that you're rightly dividing your Bible. As Brother Walker says, if you don't rightly divide, you will wrongly unite. And you have to rightly divide your Bible or you get your Bible all out of whack. And this is something worth considering. Every cult and every heresy known to man across the universe is based upon a singular instant in Scripture where they did not rightly divide. That's it. You can pick up any broadcast, any podcast, any YouTube channel, and find some heresy or some cult. They're just way off in left field somewhere, and you're going to find it's all because they refuse to rightly divide the Bible on one place, and that totally derails the train, and off they go. Now, the day of the Lord. When you hear that phrase, the day of the Lord, that has to do with that Jew. That's a Jewish thing. has to do with the, the Jew, an earthly kingdom, where when Second Thessalonians, I believe it's chapter 2, the day of Christ, has to do uh, with the church. Now, they can't overlap each other. In other words, uh, you've got things going on up in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ with the church while the tribulation is going on down on this earth. So they can overlap each other, but they are by no means the same thing. And you're going to have to make the right division. We get to 2 Thessalonians. We'll go over that in depth. All right, now here in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 5, the day of the Lord, like we said, has to do with the tribulation. It has to do with the second advent. It has to do with the millennial kingdom and including the great white throat judgment. But uh, some references go out into the millennium. Let me show you some references so you know what I'm talking about. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Sometimes it's easy to get confused in Scripture because you see what the day of the Lord represents in one passage and it seems to be different than another passage. You've got to remember as you're going to Isaiah chapter 2, the Bible says that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. But it's the same day. You ever stop and think about when by the time you get to heaven and you haven't seen your uh, loved ones for 
40, 50 years, and they were saved, and you get up there, and uh, you say, well, I've been forever since I've seen you, and they, uh, they look up at the clock in heaven, which there's no clock in heaven, I'm just making up. They say, well, I've just been here for a couple minutes. <laughs> just been here for a few seconds. Why? Day of, day, day of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. But here in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. So you see that phrase, the day of the Lord. Well, you need to understand, as in verses 13 all the way to 21, Isaiah describes what takes place during the tribulation. So if you want to identify what the day of the Lord is referring to in Isaiah chapter 2, he's describing a place and time during the tribulation. But that doesn't mean it's just the tribulation. I look at Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1, I'll give you another one. So in Isaiah chapter 2, he's dealing with uh, the tribulation. In Joel chapter 1, I think come off to about verse 5, 15 rather. Joel chapter 15, I'm sorry, 1, 1 verse 15, the Bible says in verse 15, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. All right? So here, Joel, he's describing the tribulation in verses 16 to 20. So it's also describing the trib, tribulation period. Now here's another one. Go one chapter over to Joel chapter 2. You'll see the place and time switch. Joel chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Blow you the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Now here in Joel chapter 2, as you get to read in verses 2 all the way through 10, uh, the day of the Lord is describing the second advent of Jesus Christ when he comes back with all of the church-age saints that have suffered with him. So they come back on a white horse with Jesus Christ, and they have glorified bodies. They have bodies just like Jesus Christ. They have superhuman strength. So you have another place in time in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 all the way through 10, and it's a reference to the second advent. So throughout the scriptures, when the Lord describes the day of the Lord, he's dropping in certain periods of, on the timeline where he's describing that day, but yet it's a reference to one singular day. Why? Because the day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Go to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. Here's an interesting one. 3 verse 14. You've heard this one. You've probably heard messages preached on this one. <clears throat> the prophet Joel says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. All right. So here it's a reference to the battle of Armageddon, and that's at the end of the tribulation. End of the tribulation. And the day of the Lord is referencing the battle of Armageddon. And that's Joel chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And lo and behold, you get to Joel 3, 16, and there's the second advent, Jesus Christ coming back. Ain't that something? Uh, here's another one, Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel chapter 13. I want to give you these references so you can see the, the difference of what the day of the Lord is used as in the scriptures. Ezekiel 
Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 5, you've got another tribulation reference. Got about a dozen more of these. I'll skip through some and just get. I'll go over to uh, go over to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three verse ten. Now here's an here's an interesting one because this one goes out way far. <clears throat> You've seen this verse, you know it. Bible says in Second Peter chapter three verse ten. He says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night." Notice there's a semicolon there, right? At that semicolon is important. All right, <clears throat> talking about the day of the Lord coming. So that's the day of the Lord starting, right? Okay, <laughs> just making sure everyone's awake tonight. <laughs> I'll work on the teacher here. Come as a thief in the night. Now look at this. You've got a semicolon there that separates the rest of the verse by a thousand years. Because you've got the beginning of the millennial kingdom there, the day of the Lord there, and you've got the end of it starts at, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. What's that? That's Revelation 20. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are there, and shall be burned up. So there you have the day of the Lord, you have the beginning and the ending of the thing. And that thing goes way out past the millennial reign, past a, uh, right towards the great white throne. <clears throat> And that semicolon there separates a period of a thousand years. That's wild. It shows you the starting and the ending of that thing. I'll give you one more and we'll move on. Malachi 4 5. Here's an interesting one Malachi chapter 4 5. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. That old prophet says, Behold, I'll send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, here's one of those references that uh, if you read your Bible, you, you know where we're going with this one. Because uh, if Israel would have received Elijah, who was Elijah? He's John the Baptist. You see that? Elijah did come. And you know what? They didn't accept, they didn't accept John the Baptist, who was Elijah. And because they didn't say, because you get over there in Matthew, and the Lord says, if, you, if you'll take John, you'll take me. I'm paraphrasing it. But they didn't. John 1.10, he came on his own, his own received him not. But see, it was ready. That thing was ready. The kingdom was ready to land because the king of both kingdoms was right there present on the earth. He said, well, how I'll send, send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And remember, Elijah's over, um, John the Baptist over there, he's kind of got a little bit of identity crisis. He says, and the religious leader says, are you Elijah? He's like, I'm not Elijah. Are you crazy? And then the Lord turns around after they put John in prison and says, Elijah's been here indeed. And if you'll take him, you'll take me. But he says, Behold, I'll send you <clears throat> Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, you get over there in the tribulation, guess who comes down? The two witnesses. Moses and who? There it is. See how that thing's moved? The reason it's moved is because the Jews didn't accept Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, so that thing got kicked out past the church age and on into the tribulation. And if they had received Christ, then the day of the Lord would have been ushered in just like that. But since they rejected John and Jesus both, the day of the Lord was kicked out, the church age was inserted in there, and then the day of the Lord in reference to the coming of Elijah is during the tribulation now and takes place about midway through the tribulation. So that thing initially was during the ministry of Christ, 
But since they rejected him, that thing got kicked out to the tribulation when Moses and Elijah come back as the two witnesses, and they're preaching up a storm, man, and anyone who disagrees with them and anyone who complains and anyone, uh, uh, you know, fire comes down from heaven and devours them. What a preacher, man, I'll tell you what. But anyways, we'll be out of here. That'd be great. Amen. So that's what you have. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, go on to verse 3. But I want you to see that because the day of the Lord often hits multiple time periods in your Bible, and you can't fixate it on the one thing because the day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So what the scriptures do, it identifies all through the scripture different places where it's considered and called the day of the Lord. And you've got to be able to delineate that. <clears throat> all right, First Thessalonians 5.3, the Bible says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. All right, so now the they of this verse... I suppose it could be Jews, and it could be unsaved. It's, you teach that thing both ways. Uh, but if you pay attention to the passage he's talking about, as travail upon a woman with child, we already showed you in Revelation chapter 12, verse 2, that that travail upon a woman with child is a reference to Israel, a type of that. So it's probably Jewish. And uh, people, like I say, often say, well, you can't tell. You can't tell when the rapture takes place. Well, I can tell by some of the things going on in the world when possibly the tribulation will take place for the Jew in the second advent. And if I can see that the tribulation is coming my way, I know this. I'm going to be gone before that thing starts out. Amen. So, uh, and if I see those things going on, then there's a possibility we're getting closer and closer uh, to the coming of Jesus Christ. And... uh, uh, so it could be the Jews, but it could also be in verse 3. It could be the unsaved. The they could be the unsaved. It says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. It can be upon everybody. Of course, which I probably think it is, it's, uh, it can be the peace concord that's made by the Antichrist. And you read over there in the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and... Uh, Chapter 8, verse 25, that Antichrist, he comes with peace and flatteries. That's what this world wants more than anything else. That's the crazy thing is this world wants peace without Jesus Christ. And they want, you know what they ultimately want? They want peace without Jesus Christ. And they want all the benefits of the millennial kingdom, a perfect agrarian culture, a perfect economy, you know, know, five-day weekend. (laughs) But they don't want Jesus Christ with it. And, uh, but if you study the book of Daniel, there's a, a period of time at the very end of the tribulation where uh, people think that the tribulation's over with and that they brought in the kingdom, and then all of a sudden, sudden destruction comes and there's the second advent. But it really looks like to me in verse 3 there that it has to do, applies to a peace concord that the Jews are going to make with the Antichrist. And everything's fine and dandy, and then all of a sudden, as soon as they say peace, right? Peace, man. We sign the ink's not even dry yet, and then uh, all, all the, you know, what breaks loose for that Jew. And I have a feeling that's probably what it is. But you can tell the times and seasons are going to take place, and I believe you can get it within a month or two either way. And uh, so you wouldn't really have trouble with that. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day, that day should overtake you as a thief. Amen? You're not in darkness. interesting thing is, the church age is referred to as nighttime. Nighttime. Now take your Bible and go to Mark chapter 13. 
The church time, the church period, the church age is referred to as nighttime in the scriptures. And I know about you, at night, uh, I'd like to sleep all night long. If I had my way, I'd just put my head on the pillow and wake up when the birds are tweeting and all that stuff. And, of course, it doesn't always happen that way. But uh, church age is called nighttime in the Bible. It's, uh, and in the King James Bible alone, there are four watches in the night, only in the King James Bible. And the fourth watch is when Jesus Christ, he returns as the sun. That's Malachi 4.2. Sun arises, right? S-O-N and the E's referred to as S-U-N. And, of course, we talked about this a few days ago, but the, the church, the Christian, is likened unto the moon, right? And uh, it's, that moon's a dead planet that reflects the light of the sun. It's mentioned in Song of Solomon 6.14, and interesting enough, that moon has two sides, dark side and the light side. Kind of sounds like your two natures, doesn't it? Flesh and the spirit, old man and the new man. And the uh, moon has no light in itself, but it all just reflects the light of the sun. That's all it does. So realizing those things should help you understand better about the second coming and the rapture of the church. But uh, let's talk about here in uh, Mark chapter 13, this thing about Jesus Christ coming and what watch he necessarily comes in. And it's actually laid out very clearly. Paul said, we know perfectly, verse 2. We know for sure when it's going to take place. Look at Mark 13, 34, and we'll look at the watches. Now, notice here in Mark 13, 34, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is, as a man, taking a far journey. So, of course, when you see that word as, the Lord's fixing to teach us something, isn't He? For the Son of Man is, as a man, taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch, Watch you therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. All right, so what he says here, the far journey, that's Jesus Christ going back to heaven. His house, of course, is Israel. Uh, his servants uh, are the apostles here in this passage. And in verse 35, the master of the house cometh. You see that in the verse? That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now you got four watches at evening. And to a Jew, evening starts at 6 p.m. So if there's four watches, it's broken into four sections of three hours. So at evening, that's 6 to 9 p.m. At night, that's 9 to 12. Cock crowing, 12 to 3, or the morning, 3 to 6. You see that? And uh, this might get a little bit wild, but uh, I think it's worth talking about, if you divide that thing out, four watches into four uh, time periods for the church age, uh, you got four periods of 500 years. Four watches in the night, right there in the scripture. And if you take the present church age that we are a part of, you take them four watches, that gives it about 500 years apiece. Now, this would be a good deal of guesswork, so if I'm wrong, don't hang me, and uh, if you want to offer up a better one, I'll study it, and I'll be thankful and happy if you're right and I'm wrong. Amen. <laughs> but you think about it, <clears throat> evening, that's the first watch, right? If evening, and that Jewish uh, evening starts at 6 p.m., 
it goes to 9 p.m., right? Now, I won't give you the church periods, but these line up with the churches in Revelation, too. Uh, the first three churches that go through there. Uh, uh, and so uh, the evening would run. Uh, if our calendar's right, so there's the big if, right? If our calendar's right, which it's a mess. Uh, so if it's, uh, if it's right, and he was, in fact, crucified in 33 A.D., that thing would run 33 to 533. You see what I mean? It's just guesswork. Uh, first watch of the night. The second uh, watch of the night <clears throat> would be, was that midnight or night? Midnight. Uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist then. That thing's going from 9 p.m. to midnight, right? 12 a.m., well, you pick that thing up, 533 to 1033 A.D., right? We're just showing you how this thing could lay out. Uh, the third watch of the night would be cock crowing. And that's uh, 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. And, of course, that'd be 1033 A.D., uh, to 1533, and of course the morning, the Jewish morning, uh, <clears throat> terminates there at 6 a.m., so that thing run 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., and uh, if everything was uh, on the money, it'd be 1533 to 2033. Now we're dating the second coming of Jesus Christ is what we're doing. We're not dating the rapture at this point. I'll show you. Uh, if we're going to date the rapture, then what do you got to do? Well, then you got to back off about seven years, don't you, for that tribulation. And, uh, you know, 2026, don't sound too bad, does it? And we know it's, uh, according to the Bible, it's springtime. And that's if the calendar is right, which we know the calendar is a stinking mess. All right? So that put that whole thing, if you're interested in when the rapture might occur, uh, that'd be a 2026. You say, are you a date setter? I don't know if I'm right. I get extra popcorn when I get up there. <laughs> if I'm wrong, we'll go back to the tables, right? Well, here's a, here's the problem. We know the calendar's not right. <laughs> and if it's springtime, I would, I'd have to guesstimate uh, probably about May the 24th. <laughs> All right? But that's just a guess. And I get excited about that stuff. And if you don't, that's too bad. You're, you're lost. Amen. So, uh, but that's uh, Christ would come at the fourth watch of the night, uh, about six in the morning there. And that puts you right about 2033 A.D. Now you've got a lot of different factors you could factor in. Over there in Job chapter 3 in verse 6, he talks about not counting the number of the months. That throws a whole other spin on that thing because he's talking about the uh, the number of the months, and that's uh, in reference to the tribulation. So is it 42 or is it 84? You see what I mean? <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, so do you not count the tribulation? Do you count the tribulation? I like 2026. You like that uh, You like that number? I worked it out one time with a calendar difference, and it came out to 2024. That was even better. <laughs> Amen. But you've got, uh, you've got issues with your calendar. You think about it. Uh, in 1582, the use of the Julian calendar was stopped. The Gregorian calendar was instituted. And I'm not going to get into the algebraic equations and this and that and the other. But uh, back in 45 B.C., they used that Jewish calendar up until they started using the Julian calendar. And that Jewish calendar gave you 360 days in a year. And then old Julian, smart fellow there, he came around and gave you 365. 
well, what are you going to do with all them extra days? Right? So from 45 B.C. all the way to 1033 A.D., uh, if you calculate all those extra days, uh, that'd be 10,000 extra days. 10,390. And then what about your leap year? You see what I mean? <laughs> uh, keep going. <laughs> then you got the 519 years with one extra day, right? And y'all are bored out of your mind by now. I'm just excited to think that the Lord's coming back soon. I'm just excited to realize that we're probably as close as we're going to get to getting out of here. <laughs> uh, so that gives you a total of 10,900 and what, nine extra days? 10,909 days. So what does that mean in the grand scale of things? Well, if that's the case, well, then you better push that thing out to 2062. Right. I'm like, no, I don't like that. I never did like math or the calendar or anything. But if that's the case and the calendar part's wrong, you've got to add those days onto that right there. And then you back that thing off seven years. Uh, seven years for the tribulation, what is 2062 minus 7? 2055 for the rapture? Say, what are you doing? I'm just trying to get you excited about the Lord come back. It's closer than it's ever been. You say, well, I don't think you should date set. Well, help yourself. I was in the Bible trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, got to count for something. Come back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Now, this is good stuff here. Not my calculating, but the Bible. I don't know. I do get excited when I think about it. It could just be a couple years off. 2026? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? <laughs> this, this is all guesswork, but we know the seasons. We believe it to be springtime. We know there's four watches in the night, and if you take the current church age and you take that thing out, it'd be uh, 500 years apiece. But uh, Matthew chapter 14, you know, you know, think about it. You know, in your Bible, that Jesus Christ, he's likened unto the sun, right? The sun rising. Look at verse 23. <clears throat> Bible says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. All right, so the evening, the midnight, the cock crowing, is all before the morning, right? All right. And Christ is up there in the mountain right here in 1423. He's up there in the mountain to pray. Sounds like Acts chapter 1, doesn't it? He sent the multitudes away. And what's the Lord doing right now? He's right up there in the mountain making intercession for you and I. See what I mean? That thing fits like a hand in a glove. And then in the evening time, you get all this stuff going on that we're trying to sort out in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 6. And that's what we've been covering. But right prior to the time he comes, Jesus Christ is where? Well, in Matthew 14, 23, he's in the mountain alone. He's by himself. And then verse 24. Look at verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves. Ain't that something? That'll give you an idea of what it's like towards the end of the church age. You see that? You're all in the boat. And it's a storm and a half, ain't it? Somebody say amen right there. That's a perfect picture of the church age. If you think it's sunny in 70, you're nuts spiritually. And it's going to be perilous times. Isn't that what Paul said? In, uh, in the church age, it's going to be rough. And that's what you got in Matthew 14, 24. The Lord's up on the mountain to pray, and all the disciples are in the ship there, and it's a stinking storm. 
And verse 24 says, for the wind was contrary. And you've got to understand, and that's the way it's going to be until Jesus Christ comes and gets us out of here. You're going to have to settle on that thing. And I don't care how much you people like Joel Osteen and all these fancy speakers. It ain't a Joel Osteen world. But you're in a ship, and it's a storm out. And it's perilous times. And it's the end times. It's going to be that way till he comes back. And uh, that what happens in verse 25? Tell me your King James Bible ain't spot on. And in the fourth watch, whoo, you see it? I'm about ready to come on my skin. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So we know perfectly well when Jesus is going to come. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we know perfectly when, he's going to, when it's going to take place. In the fourth watch of the night, he's going to come get the church and snatch us out of here. And we'll be caught up just like Israel went through the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. And we're going to be caught up and gone. Amen? And the Christian is like the moon in the night. The moon sets. And then what happens next? The sun rises. And when the sun comes up, we go up. So I hope you can plainly see that we're going to be going out during this fourth watch. Fourth watch. This particular watch is fourth watch. And Paul says you're not to be ignorant and you know perfectly. Verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 4. He says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that, that day should overtake you as a thief. So that day will not overtake you because why? Well, I know we're not a Jew, but there are some signs. There are some indicators, right? Uh, Paul tells you all throughout his epistles, the indicators. Paul tells you some things so very clearly, if you'd be able to see about the sign. Look at 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. We'll cover some of these and call it good. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul tells us these things so clearly about uh, signs of the times. And you do realize when we talk about signs of the times, I'm not out here going looking every day for the signs of the times. Why? They're going to happen whether I look for them or not. I'm supposed to be looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. My eyes are supposed to be on the Lord. They're not supposed to be on the signs, but let me tell you what, they're going to be there. All right? And Paul says, look, these are the things that are going to happen. First uh, Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. You see all that? He's talking about the church. He's talking about safe folk. He's not talking about the law. He's not talking about the cults. He's not talking about the people. That, he's talking about the people that are born again, blood washed, heaven bound with a hammer down. All right, look at, he's, he gives some more things in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. You see it? There's the storms. You're out in the boat. <laughs> you're thinking you're going to sink. All right, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Tell me you can't see that everywhere around you since 2000. Since, uh, since the great invention of the smartphone, we have been in love with ourselves. The entire industry is, is centered around I. You see that? You say, what did you do, preacher? I just identified a sign of the time. That's it. Why? We're there. 
we're in the last days. I care what you think, what you say. I'm not stupid. I can read fourth-grade English. It says here, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Amen. We buried a couple generations in Vietnam that were disobedient. Amen. That's the truth right there. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. How about that one? You say, what's that? Well, when was the last time you saw the, uh, the marital index increase? It does nothing but decrease. There's more divorces now than ever. Everyone's affected by divorce. Everyone's breaking the truce. They're breaking tr- uh, treaties. They're breaking truces. False accusers. Callie Free. Sam Bernstein, right? Incontinent. Fierce. Man, you're in a fierce generation now. Used to be you could disagree with something over a cup of coffee. Now they throw the coffee pot at you. Don't even tell them you voted for red or blue. They'll hate your guts for it. I remember a day, I do remember a day, I'm not very old, but I remember a day when you could kind of talk about that stuff. And, you know, you could have two dissenting opinions and still be civil towards each other. Not anymore. You vote this way, you're the devil. You vote that way, you're the devil. Whatever. What is that? Fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors. Heady. High-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Do you realize we're talking about the church? You remember we're talking about saved individuals. We're not talking about your neighbors that are lost. All right, Paul runs all the way through verse 9 on this, what's going on. He's talking about stuff going on in the church, not the lost world. And then again, last but not least, 2 Timothy 4. Paul does the same thing. Remember, 2 Timothy's uh, Paul Schwann song, and he's about ready to get out of this world, about ready to have his head took off by Nero. And he's given you all the signs, all the indicators. And I know we're not Jews, but you'd have to be blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid not to realize what's going on these days. 2 Timothy 4, 1-6, he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who should judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season. All right, preacher, it's going all downhill last days. What are we supposed to do? Preach the word. Oh, we better change our approach so we can capture the young'uns. You change your approach to capture the young'uns, they won't be worth capturing. You'll catch something you want to release. You just preach the word. He says, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Here it is. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound like 2022? How many people you know will sit under this kind of teaching right here? You all deserve a stinking medal for coming tonight. And I'm not just saying that to butter you up. You do. People won't take this. People are not going to sit there and listen to someone tell you that Christians are, are getting worse and worse. Y'all are getting worse and worse. And I said it with a smile on my face. Isn't that a blessing? He says, but will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, and so forth and so on. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. There you're back in the boat. You see it? Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And he's ready to get out of here. And Paul tells you things are going to take place. And you know what that means? It just means we're really, really close to going home. (laughs) I mean, I know the Lord could put the pause button on. We could go another hundred years. I understand that. But good grief, if it is, I don't want to be around for 50 of it. <laughs> and you got to remember that whether you think uh, the Lord's coming back in the spring of 26 
or whenever you think his imminent return is, and I could be way off the mark, but no matter what, you got to realize that at any moment the Lord could suck all the wind out of your lungs and you could stand in before him at the, at the, at the throne. Amen? And you got to be ready to go by death or by rapture. And uh, we'll stop right there on verse 4. We'll pick up verse 5 and we come together again.